Every business has 10 problems at any given time that need to be solved. And the way we solve our problems is by asking questions and getting answers that help us to get to the next step, to get into action and try things. Because we can't just solve problems in thought, we need to actually take action. And to help you get into action, to help you feel confident and provide clarity so you know what to do next, I am hosting two free, completely free, live Ask Me Anything sessions on May 21st and May 22nd. They are divided by pre-launch. If you haven't launched yet, I'll take questions about that. And then post-launch, if you have a business and you're ready to grow it, or maybe you have questions about whether you checked all the boxes correctly, I'll focus on those questions. And to register totally free, you go to foodbizsuccess.com forward slash AMA 2024. Get yourself registered. You can come to one or both of them. And it's a way for you to get to know me and my expertise after working with hundreds of packaged food brands and helping them launch and scale to 100K and beyond, this is a great way for you to come and ask that burning question so you get an answer and can move forward and get more success more quickly. When we get into motion and action, we see success and we get momentum. So come join me, get yourself registered, The link is also below in the description. See you there. I'm Sari Kimball, and I've done just about everything in the food industry. I have helped hundreds of packaged food business entrepreneurs, and now I want to help you make your delicious dream a reality. Whether you want to be successful at farmer's markets, online, or wholesale onto store shelves, food business success is your secret ingredient. I will show you how to avoid an expensive hobby and instead run a profitable food business. Now let's jump in. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to a new week, a new podcast. And I am so excited, so excited to talk with Ali Ball of Retail Ready and the Food Biz Whiz podcast. And she is a colleague and a mentor, and I dare say a friend. So we are going to get into a great conversation about starting and growing your packaged food business today. So welcome, Ali. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, I'm so excited to join you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, fantastic. Well, let me just uh, do a quick intro um, of you for people who might not have heard of you before, and then we'll get right into it. So Allie is a former grocery buyer turned wholesale consultant and the creator of Retail Ready, which is an online course for producers of a packaged food product in the food industry. And in Retail Ready, Allie has helped over 400 emerging brands understand what it takes to get their products on the retail shelf and keep them there by sharing the behind the scenes secrets and thought processes of a wholesale buyer as they assess new products for their stores or online marketplace. And you're also, of course, the host of the podcast Food Biz Whiz as well. 
True. And you, I mean, I guess this is fun. We're just like swapping episodes here because you were a podcast guest for me about a year ago, exactly a year ago. Yeah, exactly. So episode number 17, if you want to go check it out, I looked it up (laughs) Perfect for this. So, um, yeah, so you are, uh, yeah, you started that, um, I guess a year and a half ago or so. Yeah. Uh, I started the food biz whiz podcast in July of 2019. So we are in, gosh, we're at like episode 63 or 64 at this point and we're cranking. Yeah. It's been fun. And you know, you and I were talking offline about how excited I am for you to start this podcast. So I just, I think there needs to be more food industry podcasts, more people who understand the like small scale food production. And um, I'm just delighted that you took the leap as well. Well, thanks. You, uh, you definitely were a great inspiration. So I really appreciate you going first. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> So yeah, I just want to get right into it. And like, let's just talk quickly. We're gonna we have some topics to discuss for sure. But you know, some people might be like, what? These two people both have an (laughs) online program, both in the food industry for early stage packaged food businesses. And I know some people are like scratching their heads, like, what are you, aren't you guys competitors? And, you know, I just want to say like, that is something I so appreciate about you. You've, you've been a mentor to me before you knew who I was. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I found you early on in my journey and you were a couple years ahead of me, but we have really similar backgrounds, um, mm-hmm. in some ways, uh, both buyers for, for grocery and, um, kind of went into this, this online program world and consulting after the fact, yeah. but I've really appreciated that your philosophy and my philosophy definitely match up around competition and also collaborating in the same space. And I think this will tie in nicely into our conversation that we're going to shift back to our audience. But I'd love for us to just address the elephant in the room that you and I are both uh, competitors in the same food industry space, helping early stage packaged food businesses uh, get started and grow into profitable food brands. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that you brought this up. And this is a, it's a great place to start, especially as we, as we launched into this idea of our both having food industry podcast too, right? So I can see why, I can see why someone might think that you and I would be in competition. And I, you know, as you know, there there are a handful of us women in food who help emerging brands grow, right? And there are a few of us who have podcasts. And and at the end of the day, that's great. I want there to be more of us, right? <laughs> I, I always think that about being collaborative over being competitive, even though at first glance we we might it might look like we're directly competing against one another. And I think it's important to think about it on a few levels with the first one really being that we offer different solutions, right? When we offer, we have different service offerings, right? The only way, you know this, and I'll just say it for your listeners, the only way that I work with brands is through Retail Ready, my online course. I don't do one-on-one consulting. I don't do, you know, 
um, I don't know, group workshops and things like that. If you want to work with me, it is through Retail Ready. Um, and one of the things that's really important about Retail Ready is that we only work with brands who are already in production. And I think that this is a really key different, different, like a, a key difference between the two of us, right? Where you, you'll work with early stage brands, like super, super early, right? right. Helping them Just validate, the, yeah, <laughs> validate the idea, help them figure out like, how the heck am I going to develop this product? What's a UPC and why do I need one? And then- what? I have to weigh my ingredients? <laughs> right, exactly. You mean people don't want to just like pay the same price that I'm like charging my friends and family? Um, yeah, people have all of these questions naturally when they start a food business. And I have really found that my biggest strength is talking about wholesale accounts, whether it is brick and mortar shelves or e-commerce wholesale platforms like the Thrive Markets of the world. And my my strength is not in product development or, you know, figuring out the health regulations. I just don't, I'm just not good at that. I don't like doing that. And so I, I so appreciate that we have different service offerings to begin with, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely have different customers and sometimes there's overlap, but usually we make, a, we have a nice transitional <laughs> programs from yeah. mine to yours. Yeah. And I think the the other thing to think about here too, and this relates to to food businesses and I can I'll make the I'll, I'll um, make the transition back to our listeners, but I always think about it like this too: that you and I have different styles, right? And that is a great thing. People are going to find me, and they're going to find retail ready. And some of those people inevitably aren't going to like my approach. Maybe they think that they don't like my teaching style. They don't want to do online learning. They don't want to do group learning. They don't like the sound of my voice, like whatever it is, and they need to have another option, right? Imagine if the only, imagine if it was me or no one, right? They wouldn't be able to get the, the help that they need. And so I just love this idea of, you know, when someone's not a good for retail, fit for retail ready, there are other people who can be the answer to their problems. Absolutely. Well, that is a great segue to, we'll stop talking about us and what we do, but really talking about uh, the listener. Yeah. So, so many people are thinking about starting a business or merging as a young brand, early stage brand. Is there room for everyone or is there just way too much competition at this point? I think you can guess what I'm going to say here, right? No, I, I mean, I, I won't deny that it's competitive, right? It, it is competitive. Starting a food business is competitive. It's getting more and more competitive, but there's always room for different products. And the key really is setting yourself apart, right? And you and I can follow our own advice here, but you know, no one needs another cookie cutter replica of Cheerios cereal, right? But if you are a cereal producer who's so passionate about starting your cereal brand that just happens to be in the same shape as Cheerios, but you are providing something totally different for the consumer, you know, beyond the shape, go for it, right? It's just think about it a lot. I think about it a lot like with with competitive grocery spaces and realizing that at the end of the day, your brand is really unique. 
right? Your packaging, your brand voice, your price point, your product formulation, like what stores you're going to sell it to, like who is your audience, like all of that stuff that all goes into crafting a brand that resonates with a particular target audience. And so there, there's plenty of people out there who are going to be a potential fit for your product, but you just have to start there and identify them and, and find them, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm getting so many people applying for, for my program who, who in this time, which, you know, you think like, what? we're in pandemic and mm-hmm. crazy things are happening, but I feel like there's kind of a resurgence of, of innovation and people have been getting creative in their kitchens and maybe had a little more time on their hands for some people. And they're mm-hmm. like, you know, I make this awesome thing. I'm, I'm ready to start this, but there, you can't just make another salsa. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I have a theory too on why, why business is, is busy for the two of us. And I think it's because COVID has shed light on this idea that that nine to five working for corporate isn't as stable as we thought. Right. Yeah. Like, I think it, I, I think there's something magical about this, that idea that this idea that entrepreneurship is, is, isn't so risky as we thought it might be. And being able to control your own destiny to some extent, yeah. even though you're probably going to work harder than you <laughs> right before. For sure. For <laughs> sure. But yeah, I think about it too. You know, I, I'm sure you see this in your group and we see it in retail ready, you know, like, Okay. Like you said in the intro, we've had over 400 brands in retail ready. We have this online community of students. And of course there's a dozen shrub producers in there. We've got a dozen granola makers. We've got so many people making, you know, things with adaptogens in, in them nowadays. So many CBD producers. And from a surface level, yeah, you could say they're competition, but I think it's really important to realize that it's better to, to see that community, to see those other makers as resources and um, helping how should I say this? Like helping, helping shed light in on the natural products industry and why it's important to respect that with your particular category. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always said, let's grow the pie and not just try to get a bigger piece of the pie. Yes. Yes. That's a great way to sum it up. Should I be afraid then that somebody's going (laughs) to copy my idea? I mean, if we're just talking about competition and all these people, there's 12 shrubs, like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I get this all the time. People say like, well, should you sign an NDA? And I'm like, you know, (laughs) yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, exactly. It is interesting. So I see, you know, I see this every week too. Someone emails me, they say that they want help and then they want me to sign an NDA because they're afraid you know, that I'm going to steal their idea or because <laughs> you have nothing you know, else going on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I literally, I literally had a lady do this last week. Uh, you know, bless her if she's listening. Um, she has a honey mustard recipe and she was like, Allie, this is such a great recipe. I'm, I know that once you, once you see it, like you're going to want to start this business yourself. And I was like, I love that you are so confident in your brand, <laughs> that you are so confident in your product. But let me tell you, I'm not going to steal your, your honey mustard recipe. And so it, <laughs> the advice that I gave her was one, 
yes, like technically we do sign NDAs in retail ready where, where you can't use other people's, um, I'm like laughing as I say it because it's kind of so ridiculous. Um, you can't use other people's propriety, proprietary information to advance your own business. But the, the disclaimer that I always say is that if you don't put your, yourself out there, if you don't tell people about your idea, if you don't ask people to poke holes in your idea, you're not going to find success, right? If you don't, if you don't shout your idea from the rooftops, you are just launching in a silo and you're going to launch with this product that isn't vetted, that, that's irrelevant, and that frankly isn't going to work. Hmm. Yeah, that echo chamber can be really dangerous. Um, and I, <laughs> yes. I'm sure you see it a lot where, yeah, and I do too, where it's like, you need more feedback. You need lots of feedback and, and feedback from peers and people in the industry and not just your mom and your sister. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. We, but that's I, a whole other topic. That's a, that's a whole other episode, right? <laughs> but I, I, know, think, right? I think you're, you're right here. And I understand why people are afraid of other producers copying their ideas, right? I, I get it. I totally understand that. But at the end of the day, if there, there is going to come a point when you have to share your idea with the world if you want to sell your idea to the world, right? Yes. And yeah. let's not start with a, an unvetted product that you're just <laughs> launching for the exactly. first time that, you know, a couple of people in your family have said is a great idea. Exactly. And I mean, I do think there is a time and a place to sign an NDA. You know, like we have, we have students who sign NDAs with their co-packers. And that can be important. You know, if you have a co-packer who's doing recipe development and production for similar brands, you might have them sign an NDA about um, your ingredient sourcing or your particular production method, but you wouldn't have them sign an NDA saying you can't produce any other mustard at your co-packer because that, that's frankly like what the co-packer does. That's their business right. model. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. So, so talking about competition still and lots of, lots of things, lots of the same products out on the market. Um, so how can people set themselves apart uh, from, from similar brands and similar products? Uh, I love this question. Okay. I've got three things that, that I'll talk through. The first one, it sounds so simple, but it, it really starts with asking yourself, why am I different? And what different solution do I provide that isn't already out there? right? So brands solve problems. <laughs> that is ultimately what your brand does. It's solving a problem for someone. And so you've got to figure out, you know, again, why am I different and what different solution do I provide that isn't already out there? Can I give an example here of what that might look like? Yes. Examples are amazing to help us, help us clarify. Okay, great. So I, have worked with Charlie of Element Shrub for a long time. And he, he uses this example too. So I'm sure he's fine with my sharing it. But he, when he, when he, he and I start, first started working together, he was convinced that people used his shrubs for, as an ingredient in cocktails. You know, he was like, it's great. It provides the acid and the, the sweet to cocktails, like I'm going to do like the majority of my social content and my marketing strategy based off this idea that people use my shrub for mixers, like for cocktails. Sure, and yeah. yeah, right. Like, sure. Great. <laughs> great theory. Great theory, Charlie. And then 
sure enough, he like goes down this rabbit hole. He starts surveying his audience. He figures out, you know, he connects with them directly. People who have literally already purchased his products. And he realizes that 80% of the people who purchase Element Shrub purchase it because they are looking for a non-alcoholic beverage. They specifically do not want his his cocktail recipes. They don't want to know how you can use it in a cocktail. They specifically are using Element Shrub to solve this problem of what what do I drink when I'm not drinking, right? Yeah. And and it was so, it was like a light bulb went off over his head where he realized that he was saying the wrong thing to his audience. He was providing the solution of, here's how you get perfect sweet and acid balance in your cocktails when the solution that they were really purchasing was this, what do I drink when I'm not drinking? And so it was so important for him to go through this exercise of why am I different? What different solutions do I provide? And realize that he had to change his whole marketing strategy to speak to a different solution to his audience. And so you can imagine what he did, right? He like changed his Instagram content. He changed his newsletter content. He really started talking about this movement of non-alcoholic um, beverages and you know what to drink when you're not drinking. And his sales just skyrocketed because he was finally presenting a a solution that that other shrubs weren't weren't offering. Right. Right. Ugh, it was I love cool that. to watch. Yeah. Do you think he could have or should have done more like a paid market research? I have a, an upcoming episode all about mm. market research. And do you think just that I'm just curious what your opinion is, would it have been helpful to pay for some help with that ahead of time? Or do you think that's just something that had to be yeah. discovered? <laughs> it's, a, it's tricky, right? Like I, I think if you have the budget to pay for market research, go for it. Like you and I both know that so much, so much work has to be done before you launch. And the more you can be, you know, thoughtful in, in product development and your, your launch strategy, your marketing strategy pre-production, the more success you'll have. So yeah, if he, if he had had it in his budget to do some paid, paid research, I think that would have really benefited him there, but who knows? I mean, it's, it's a gamble. Right. Right. And who know you know, you don't know if you would have discovered that or not, but, but good for him for not just sticking like, no, this must be. <laughs> well, yeah, thing. exactly. And you know, cause he likes cocktails. Right. And so we, so like the cocktail content was really easy for him to do. You know, he, he's a right. photographer as well. So he was like, it's really fun for me as a founder to create these cocktail recipes and photograph the drinks. And like, this is, you know, I, I love this part of the marketing, but just because he loved it didn't mean that his audience loved it. Yeah, it's such a good reminder that you are not always your target customer. <laughs> right, exactly. Just because you love the product doesn't mean that's who is Yeah, and I, I, exactly. And I think for Charlie here too, it's like, okay, well, Charlie, you can still make beautiful drinks. You can still take beautiful photos, but just leave out the booze part. And, you right. know, you can still do the thing you're passionate about, but it doesn't have to be, and it can, it can be done in a way that connects more fully with your audience. 
So that yeah, was number one, that, that really it starts with asking yourself, why am I different? And what different solution do I provide that isn't already out there? And again, you know, I know we can say like, well, there are hundreds or thousands of shrub brands in the U.S. that are offering solutions of what, what not to, what to drink when you're not drinking. But um, it's really about, you know, finding that, that unique messaging and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So number two, let's, let's keep moving here. So number two was to go all in with what makes you, you and be consistent with it. And so I always, I always ask brands like, or brand founders, like, what are your personal strengths? And again, I guess I'm just going to keep using Charlie as an example here. You know, Charlie's personal strengths are that he's a great mixologist, whether that's including alcohol or not. And he's a wonderful photographer. Right. And so he was like, I'm going to use these two things and lean in to make sure that my marketing is all about highlighting these drink recipes, you know, non-alcoholic drink recipes now, and using really, really engaging photography for my brand. If he was a mediocre photographer and he couldn't mix a drink to save his life, he wouldn't have pursued that, like gone down that path. Right. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, I, th- I really think about that here. You've got to, you've got to play into your own strengths. But that's, uh, I mean, yes, absolutely. And, you know, I have people who love, I mean, usually most people love the production when they're just yep. starting out, right? Yep. Especially when it's just an idea they're starting, or maybe they've been doing cottage food. Like this is that home recipe that <laughs> they, mm-hmm. you know, all their friends and family love. And they love doing the production, generally speaking. Um, but, you know, maybe the social media and the, the photography and the bookkeeping, like yeah. the sales, <laughs> like there's so many hats that we have to wear when you first yeah. start. Um, so do you have any kind of suggestions? on? I mean, I feel like people, you're going to have to wear all the hats yeah. at the beginning um, yes. for the most part. Yes. It's really hard to... Um, yeah, to shed those right away. And I, I do think that there's a lot of value of like setting up your books and oh, knowing sure. your accounting mm-hmm. and don't yep. just like hand that over to somebody from yep. day one. Yep. Um, so I agree with that hundred percent, especially yeah. when you get to a place, but where you can, but I just curious if you had any thoughts about wearing all the hats. Yeah. Gosh, I, I hear you on that. Right. I, I did that for years and years in, in my business. And I, Again, like I, I understand why you do it, especially when you think money is tight and that you can't afford to hire help, right? And I, gosh, I feel like you and I talked about this like, like two years ago where the, the number one piece of advice that I have is to time track your week and figure out where you are spending the majority of your time and what is the value of your time. And so the way I do it is, I either literally use like pen and paper. You can use an like um, a Chrome extension, like Toggle is great. The free version is wonderful. Um, and you essentially break down your tasks into a couple main categories. So for food entrepreneurs, it might be, you know, production, sales, admin support, and gosh, I don't know. Social um, media. <laughs> yeah. Right. Some yeah. Those. Something else, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever else. Um, and you assign a, uh, an hourly rate to each of those categories, 
right? So you might say, okay, like if I were going to hire someone to do the production, I'm going to pay them 20 bucks an hour. So this is a $20 an hour task. If I hired like I don't know, the sales and driving revenue is the most important thing in my business. We're going to exaggerate it a bit here and we're going to call it a $100 an hour task. You know, the marketing, like only I can do the marketing in my business. Like I'm the face of my brand. You know, I'm going to make that a $200 an hour task, whatever it is. Admin, like I could hire an admin assistant for 20 bucks an hour, $20 an hour task. Then you literally time track to the 15 minute interval it's going to be annoying, but I promise it's going it's, to be it's so worth it. eye-opening. <laughs> At the end of the week, you're going to be like, holy cow, no wonder why I'm, no wonder why I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. I'm spending, you know, 20 hours a week in the $20 an hour tasks. I got to get those off my plate. And, you know, I know it's, it's so much easier said than done, but I will tell you every time I hire, every time we build our team, I feel like, I can't afford it. I'm like (laughs) jumping in too quickly and it pays off tenfold. I think you've had that experience too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you inspired me to to start getting help help. and Mm -hmm. find an assistant. And now I actually have two part-time assistants that uh, help me and they, yes, hundred percent. And I think the, the important thing too, is that like you just said, it can be part time. Like I have, I have a retail ready student who hired a five hour a week assistant. They are paying her $15 an hour and it takes, I mean, imagine if you could get five hours of, of time back every single week. Imagine what you could do with that time. Exactly. It's so valuable having somebody help with my social media. And I know that's an area where a lot of my producers, especially struggle. That's not, I have, I have a lot of people who are a little, you know, little tech challenge sometimes, Mm -hmm. which is fine. And so yeah, hiring somebody younger who like gets the social media. And I think what's really important. And then I'll tell you what my number three is for for how we can set ourselves apart. But (laughs) this is just what happens when you and I record together. I think the really important thing to to realize in hiring is you don't want to hire for the, wouldn't it be nice if blah, 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 right? Like, wouldn't Mm, it be nice if we could um, set up an affiliate campaign and do giveaways on Instagram with other better for you brands throughout the fourth quarter? Like, okay, yeah, sure. That would be nice. But what would also be nice is if someone replied to your, you know, inquiries on your website, or if someone finally put together uh, templates for your sales pipeline or like, you know, whatever it is, uh, really hiring to get to take things off your plate as the founder, rather than hiring for all of those, wouldn't it be nice tasks? Because at the end of the day, that's not taking anything off your plate. It's just adding to it's adding more expenses, oversight mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah, and expense. I yeah. love that. It's a great, yeah. great tip. All right. So number three in how you set yourself apart, do something different with your strategy and don't be afraid to do something different with your strategy, right? Like I'm going to keep on with Charlie here. Charlie could have said, he didn't do this, but he could have said, I'm going to be the only shrub brand who pursues only food service accounts. I'm going to be in 
all of the bars in the DC area as the non-alcoholic drink of choice, right? He didn't do that. He has a wholesale strategy and does, does retail and Amazon and direct to consumer and stuff, but he could have put a stake in the ground and said, I'm going to be the shrub brand who does this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's so important to not just copy your competitors thinking that if they had success with it, you will inevitably have success as well. Yeah. Those being open to a different mix of sales channels and what, you know, what is your best strategy based on your skill set? Like we just talked about, you know, maybe you really want to do Amazon and you enjoy doing that or you're, you know, there are a lot of different sales channel opportunities and, and you can mix and match and, yeah, something that's unique to you. And I think it's so easy to, to think that we have to follow someone else's path, right? You know, if like, say you make a coconut water and you see the way Vita Coco went and you're like, okay, clearly I need to do <laughs> Tetra Pak in this size and I need to distribute through these channels. And like, that is the road to success. We don't know that. We're, I mean, it's one example of the road to success, but unless you know the strategy behind what they're doing, you're just copying, you're copying like pretty blindly. And there's, you know, that's, that's just setting yourself up for disaster. Wow. Yeah. Really finding your own voice, your own strategy, um, being thoughtful and intentional about it. And I think trying to stay in your, your lane and what you're comfortable with and, and then adding, you know, I, I have a lot of people who are like, they want to do all of it all, all at once. Of course. <laughs> of course. Like, let's get good at one thing and then let's add the next thing. Right? Yeah. I mean, I even think about it with the two of us too. I think one of the, one of the things that you and I could do better is being more clear on our differences and why, you know, why someone would want to work with me versus, I mean, obviously not like me versus you, but like being really clear for each of us about what sets us apart. So we're not just lumped in as, you know, women who help emerging brands <laughs> and without really an understanding of like what, what it is that you and I do differently. Wow. There is a lot there. Um, as we're just talking about, like, should you start a food business? Right. <laughs> I love it. There's a lot of gems in there. Um, so you guys will have to go back and, and listen to it again. I know. <laughs> Make sure you get all of them. How about we do um, a follow-up episode on, on my podcast? We can come back and continue some of these, yes, these conversations. That'll that. be fun. Um, so I would love to, to switch gears, um, and really pick your brain because, you know, you are in this kind of bigger, more, um, traditional, conventional sales mm-hmm. channels. And, and, you know, your, your background is really in wholesale and that's kind of yeah. what you made your stake in the ground on, Absolutely. um, was like how to get into traditional grocery store, um, food service, that wholesale route. And then we had, um, COVID hit and, yeah. uh, you know, everything changed, um, very quickly. And, I think, you know, I saw it too, where everybody was like scrambling to, to try to get their e-commerce website up or, or Amazon. And I even thought for a second, like, huh, what, what is Allie going to do? <laughs> how, I wonder how she's going to pivot. I was like, I'm going to stay the course. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, every, it's not like grocery stores were, you know, accepting new products or, I mean, they were just trying to keep toilet paper on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. canned soup and 
Um, so I'd love to just kind of dive in a little bit more on like what you're seeing and, and, you know, I listened to one of your podcasts about the myth of e-commerce. And so I just would mm. love to, to dig more into that topic and, you know, just, I think everybody, you know, you know, this, like people just say, if I just get up a Shopify website, then I'm going to be rolling it. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Everyone will come. <laughs> I'm really excited that we're going to talk about this because literally, <laughs> literally that phrase, if you build it, they will come is the worst business advice I've ever heard, right? It takes so much strategy and talent and marketing skills and tech skills and frankly, money to get people to come and shop directly on your website. And so I, I, I'm sure you see this with your clients too, but people, like you said, think like, you know, e-commerce is all the rage right now. It, it's going to be really easy to launch a brand online. and I, I really understand why producers think this, right? That is the story that we're getting. You know, we see beautiful branding and beautiful product on Instagram. We see these overnight success stories. And again, like we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, right? Uh, and so yeah, I think absolutely. about, <laughs> I think about, you know, uh, brands like Magic Spoon Cereal and ones that really seem to like pop up out of nowhere. And then you go digging. So, you know, if you're, if your listeners, listeners don't know, Magic Spoon is a cereal brand that launched direct to consumer probably um, 2019, like pretty early 2019. And they really seemed like an overnight success. They launched on Instagram. They, consistently sold out of their production runs. And there was a wait list for this, like, I don't know, like $12 cereal. Right. And, and so brands see this and they're like, I, all I have to do is follow that path of magic spoon. I pay for some beautiful branding. I get up in Shopify store and my Instagram strategy going, and I'm going to, I'm going to succeed here. What we don't know. And what we didn't see was the team that came in to magic spoon who are veterans in the food industry, who understand right. exactly what it takes to launch a brand and who frankly, like put a ton, I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars into a digital marketing strategy, um, only to then conclude that they're going to start selling in store because direct to consumer is really expensive to do. I feel like everybody says the opposite. Like I got to go direct to consumer. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like so many brands have have moved back to or moved from direct to consumer to wholesale strategy. Like, um, gosh, there's a great quote from Everlane's founder, you know, the clothing company, they started direct to consumer online. And there's a quote from their founder that's like, you know, never like over my dead body, would I ever do a brick and mortar? And then sure enough, like a couple of years into the business, he shared some numbers saying that they weren't profitable on direct to consumer. And then they launched their, their brick and mortar retail stores. So anyways, wow. long story short, I understand why it's really tempting to think that I can just throw up a Shopify site and people will come and, and buy my, my products. Right. I totally get that. However, I think it's really important to think about some of the things producers need to know, like as they decide whether or not they're going to do 
e-commerce. Um, can we get into some of those things that I want to yes, warn your yeah. audience about? So, yeah. What do, okay. what do we need to do? What do we need to know <laughs> if we're going to go down this, this channel, which I mean, it, it can be the, the more accessible channel than wholesale. Yes, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I want to be really clear that I am totally in support of e-commerce. I 100%. Um, I'm in support of direct-to-consumer and I am in support of e-commerce wholesale platforms. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the differences there. But I realize I did just start this this part of the podcast saying, you know, kind of, um, you know, bad-mouthing e-commerce. And I don't want to give that impression. So it's really important for food producers to think about, again, like going back to who is your audience, but then where your audience is shopping online. And so most food and beverage purchases are still through wholesale online platforms. So we, I mean, we think about it. You can think about it yourself. Like how do you, how do you shop online? Like, are you going to the coffee roasters website and ordering a bag of beans? Are you then going to the granola website and ordering granola? Are you going to your, I don't know, egg producers, <laughs> egg farmers it's website? pretty like, rare. And I'm in this industry where exactly. I, I will go and seek out. Exactly. And so high e-commerce, like these high e-commerce stats, statistics look really flashy, but most of the growth is with online grocery platforms where shoppers can build one big basket, right? So whether, again, like that's the Thrive Markets of the World or, you know, uh, walmart.com or anything like that. We we see growth in e-commerce in the same exact way that shoppers purchase in store, right? Like you go in exactly, and you, right. you like make one big shopping basket and you check out. And same, I mean, it's the same experience with Amazon, even though like that, uh, the back end is a little bit different. And then, and then also like we're seeing these high, high e-com stats that are a direct reflection of growth through brick and mortar stores finally coming online with either like click and ship or curbside pickup, you know, with the help of something like Instacart, all of those sales are, are kind of like lumped into the, the e-commerce growth that we've seen as a result of COVID. So I say all that because I think it's really important to realize that e-commerce is a really important channel and it's a really important part of your your overall sales strategy but you've got to be really realistic about how people are purchasing food and beverage in particular when they're shopping online right i mean it has to be a pretty unique um interesting product that's going to make people want to go over and 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 you have to invest like like you were saying before so much money into the marketing into the flashy instagram ads and whatnot i mean you know, once my, we, we get them set up, my clients set up on Shopify and then they burn through their initial friends and yep. family. <laughs> and they're like, where now are all what? the people? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, people don't shop that way. And, you know, and again, it depends on what your product is and what category you're in. If you are a product that, um, I'm thinking about like gold mine adaptogen powder, a client of mine from gosh, almost two years ago at this point, they, 
They launched both direct-to-consumer and wholesale at the same time. And we found that the direct-to-consumer sales were really strong because they specifically solved a health problem for their shoppers. And so it's not something (laughs) that you would traditionally buy in a grocery store necessarily. It's not just like an impulse buy in aisle four, right? It is something that you are specifically going online, you're Googling, you know, typically like if you already are familiar with adaptogens, you're like Googling the specific mushrooms, you're looking for like solutions to this health problem. And sure enough, a direct to consumer strategy is really, really thoughtful there and really successful there. So it depends on the category. Yeah, it does. I'd say like keto and paleo, maybe Mm -hmm. have a little more, more luck there. Yeah. But if you're just like a granola, that's pretty hard to sell (laughs) (laughs) direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and there are a lot of other wholesale or these kind of marketplaces, like you mentioned, Thrive and there's Bubble and Good yep. Eggs. I know it's in your yep. area yeah. and a lot more coming online. Uh, Gold Belly is another one that are a little smaller, um, than like a Thrive, but essentially, I mean, what you're saying is that you're still using a wholesale strategy to, yeah. to go through these platforms, right? Yeah, totally. And I think that <laughs> I like the way you summarize that. Yes, like these platforms, online sales like this are still wholesale accounts. And it's really important to remember that when you're selling through a platform like that, there's still a real person making decisions around their categories and their product assortment, right? Like that let's say that like refrigerated grocery buyer at thrive.com has to assess your product and determine whether or not you're a good fit for their digital shelf, right? That's still wholesale. And so I think, I think again, like when we look at this wholesale strategy, we think about like, where is your audience shopping? Like, where am I going to sell my product? How am I going to stand out in that category? How am I going to pitch to that real person, that real buyer? (laughs) Um, You know, which promotional strategies you're going to leverage to appeal to them, what that sales pipeline looks like. I mean, there's just so many things to think about when it comes to to building the wholesale side of your business that, that people people just don't take into account that it's, that it's so complicated. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's such a, a, I think a good reframing and not just like, oh, I'm just going to go direct to consumer, but you have to think about how people are shopping. And then ultimately it's still a wholesale strategy. So we need to have that dialed in and our cogs need to be there and all that good stuff. uh, The joys of being a business owner, right? It's complicated. Yeah. So all that said, I mean, we know, we know that the numbers are up for, for shopping Mm -hmm. online and buying groceries online, you know, Amazon. And, but like you said, a lot of it is actually through the grocery stores as well, not just going to your individual website. So what do you think about brick and mortar? Like what's kind of your outlook right now? What are you telling your students in retail ready? Yeah. I'm getting a lot of questions on that. Like is brick and mortar dead? (laughs) And the short answer is no, right? How, how we are navigating retail is changing, but the physical store isn't, isn't going anywhere, right? We, we look at these big store chains, you know, Kroger and Albertsons and things like that, who are still opening new stores in 2020, which just feels wild, right? Um, so when we look at the at the brick and mortar store, that shopper experience might be different. Like they might 
again, like not really be going into the store, spending much time in the store. Maybe they're ordering most of their groceries through for curbside pickup. Maybe they're getting delivery through Instacart, but there's still a physical store that is housing the products that people are still, you know, visiting. But I think the experience is going to change. We've already seen it changing. Yeah, for sure. And I see some opportunities, especially depending on your category. But if you can kind of fulfill some of those comfort or mm-hmm. like functional food categories, there there is a lot of opportunity there to get into to the store. But people are spending a lot less time in stores. Right, exactly. Like you've really got to figure out how you're how you're going to navigate product discovery and make sure like once you get on the shelf, how do you get people to pick you up and put, put you in their shopping basket. And you know, that's, again, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> that is a, yeah, that, that's a long topic, but, um, and what you, what you do in retail ready. Yeah, so exactly. for yep. sure. So one sentence or a couple of sentences of advice, uh, to someone just starting out, what, what would that be? Yeah, I've got, I've got two that I'd like to to give here. One that's you, you get more. two. Okay, great. <laughs> no, I'm like I'm going to go off script here. So, um, one of them is more general business advice, and then the other one is really specific for food and beverage founders. So the first one would be that if it doesn't work on paper, it won't work in reality. And I think that this is. <laughs> This is an important one for people who are just starting their businesses and people who are so passionate about their idea, who are probably in your inbox right now <laughs> asking for your help, and they they haven't run the numbers and done the you know Excel doc to figure out what it would actually take to build their business. And so I I like, I heard someone say this ages ago, years ago. I, I don't remember who said it. It wasn't me, but if it doesn't work on paper, it doesn't work in reality. And I think that that's just so, so valuable to think about. Uh, it's, I just have to say, it's heartbreaking sometimes. <laughs> I, I just got an email from a, a client who I've worked with on and off and he you know has this passion product. He just yep. loves it. It's, it takes a lot of time. I mean, and we've tried to make the numbers work and uh, it just kills me because <laughs> it's such mm-hmm. a great product. But he said, you know, I think I need to raise my MSRP, my, my yep. price, suggested retail price. And what do you think about that? And it's like, oh, I don't know. It was already pretty, yeah. pretty high up there. I mean, how can we show a return? And, you know, all of those questions. And it's just it can be really heartbreaking, but I would rather have that conversation early on and, and see if we can find solutions to it ahead of time than yep. like continue, you know, two years, three years, five years. <laughs> I mean, I've talked to brands that are five years in and they're still not, it still doesn't work and yeah. they're still not making any money. Oh gosh. I say that all the time. You know, people, people say like, well, what if I take retail ready and my business doesn't work? I'm like, well, I have just saved you hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> yes. And so much time. <laughs> in so much time. Exactly. I would much rather have you come in you know, obviously I want all my students to succeed in retail ready, but if you come in and you put in the effort and ultimately at the end of the day, you decide that it doesn't work on paper, you know, then at least you're making an informed decision. 
So that was number one. If it doesn't work on paper, it doesn't work in reality. And then the second one that's really, really specific to food and beverage is my advice to go narrow and deep rather than wide and shallow as you start selling your products. And so what that really means is that, you know, I, I see these brands who are excited to sell you know, outside of their region or get national distribution or like, you know, we're in California and a great account in New York asked them <laughs> if they can, they can sell there. And I always think it's so important to win over your backyard before you attempt to expand regionally or nationally or gosh, even internationally. Um, you've got to really like go hard in your own backyard. Yeah. I think that's the, you know, in people's minds are like, but that's so much more work. And, (laughs) you know, it doesn't seem as glamorous, but yeah, doing the work and really developing that, that base and that foundation in your, your home area, I think is so valuable. Um, totally. And that's, I mean, that's where you're going to learn the most. You're going to connect with your consumer. You're actually going to open those wholesale accounts yourself and have a relationship with those wholesale buyers. And like, you know, they, I, I like mark my words, those are going to be your strongest accounts forever and ever. Um, if you really nurture them. Yes. Ah, I love that. All right. Before I ask you my last question, uh, I would love for you to tell people um, how they can find out about Retail Ready, where they can find you. I mean, you you and I both just put out a ton of free content. And I think, you know, we both have a mentality of like, I want to give. I want to give a lot of value ahead of time and give people an idea of what it's like to work with me and my expertise. So I love that about you. Um, and I'd love for people to be able to, to find your work. I was just going to say, I love that about you as well. I think that you and I really, sh- that's something that we do share that, that desire Absolutely. to give, give content. So I've got two, I'm going to say, I'm going to give three places where people can find me. So the first one you asked about retail ready, of course, I feel like we've talked about that um, a fair amount here on, on the episode today. So you can find out about retail ready at my website, which is just alleyball.com and retail ready is at backslash waitlist because we currently have a waitlist for the course. We open up enrollment throughout the year um, as we have capacity to support new students. So um, I'm sure that you can put, you can put uh, the link in the show notes, of course. And then I've got two other places where you can find me. You can find me on Instagram. That's definitely where I hang out the most. And my handle is just it's at, or excuse me, it's, it's Allie Ball. And um, if you send me a DM, I'll write back. I would love to give your listeners a follow back. I love doing that. And then finally, finding me um, on my own podcast. I've got episodes that come out every single Thursday, and that's just at foodbizwiz.com. Love it. Yeah. All right. So uh, my last question that I've been asking all of my guests this year, uh, it's a quote from Michelle Norris that I heard and it just really resonated with me. And so the quote is, uh, let's not strive for normal, let's strive for better. So how do you think that the industry in your in your mind is changing or will change for the better uh, in 2020 so that we can grow and become a better yeah. food industry? I think we've seen it change in two two pretty clear 
areas. And the first one is obviously this idea of the virtual pitch and online trade shows. And I'm really excited about this because I just feel like the, the virtual buying meet, buyer meeting, that online pitch really levels the playing field. You know, when, if we think about it from a financial perspective, from a like time perspective, Typically people, especially emerging brands, like young founders, don't have the means or the time to fly to trade shows, the, the money to fly to trade shows, all of that, that um, the like networking skills to get in front of buyers. And now that we move that online, I feel like that is, it levels the playing field there. And I'm so, I'm so, so excited for that. Yeah. So that's my number that. one. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with what the Black Lives Matters movement has done in our food industry. So we historically have been this homogenous white male dominated industry. I mean, I even, I think about my first grocery buying role. I was like in my early twenties, I was the only woman at the table. Like it was a bunch of like middle-aged white dudes and that is shifting and i am i am just thrilled about it you know we we pulled some numbers in retail ready we are right about 50% of our retail ready brands are bipoc owned which just is it's an incredible indicator of of where the industry going is going and i'm so i'm here for it uh, i love that too i i think you and i both probably attract i would say probably 70% of my, my clients and students are, are women. And yep. um, it's so cool to see people in that space. And it's awesome. I, I think yeah. that's such a great, it's about time, great, right? I mean, right. <laughs> I just, gosh, uh, yeah, it, it's about time. You know, I, I'm hopeful that retailers have, you know, woken up to that idea that they need more diversity on their shelves and they need to accept those buyer meetings when somebody walks in the door who looks different than them. And, you know, that they just need to be, be, you know, have put some initiatives in place for becoming more diverse on the store level as well. Love that. All right. Wow. Woo! We could... <laughs> I feel like you and I, we could just spend hours and hours together. We could make a whole series of podcasts, but uh, this was fantastic. I think two really great topics that um, really share, show your expertise. And um, so thank you for, for being here and for, for sharing with all of us, all those great examples. And I don't know if I was listening to this, I'd be pretty excited about starting my, my food business. So well, my pleasure. I just feel like you and I together have this really fantastic one, two punch in supporting brands. My ultimate dream is that like people start with you, they get to a place where they're in production and then they come and work with me and yes. you know, together we can really support these brands. I love it. The one, two punch. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having oh. me today. I so hope you enjoyed that conversation with Allie Ball. And until next time, have a fantastic week. Are you ready to start that delicious idea that you make in your home kitchen or grow your existing packaged food business and take it to the next level? The most successful food business entrepreneurs have support 
guidance, focus, and accountability to help them make it happen quickly without wasting time or money. Plus, I think starting your packaged food business should actually be fun. Food business success is your secret ingredient to creating your food business dream. Please don't go this alone. Check out the private free food business success Facebook group to connect with other foodpreneurs, get your questions answered quickly, share your wins and receive special training and tools I only share inside the private community. Just search for food business success on Facebook or get the link in the show notes. Curious about how food business success can help you? Head over to foodbizsuccess.com and fill out the application to see if you're a great fit for the program. Together, let's make your food business dream a reality.